from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And, you know, we talk a lot about the green rush on this show, but few have actually stricken or stricken gold in this industry, but our guest has, and after a lot of hard work. And Cameron Forney is the founder and president of Cura Cannabis Solutions and Select, which pioneered what is now an industry standard vape cartridge free of silica. And in May 2019, Select and Cameron made history after a billion-dollar acquisition by Cura Leaf, creating the world's largest legal cannabis company by revenue in the world. And Cameron recently launched Hypescale Ventures, which is focused on raising the value of the current cannabis marketplace through investing in forward-thinking founders and Canatech. We have a lot to talk about for this new chapter in his already young career. Cameron, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Sure, man. It's really great to talk to somebody who, like I said, has had a lot of success early on. And I'm so interested to hear what you got going on now. So first of all, tell us a little bit about what Hypescale Ventures does. What's what's the pitch there? So Hypescale Ventures is a venture fund that that I've used with, with my capital. And we may be looking to bring on other investor capital as well. Um, as we discover entrepreneurs that are just incredible in this industry, I've met with you know hundreds of entrepreneurs across the country. Uh, you know, seen a multitude of business plans and, and business ideas, and I really want to focus on some of the key things that are going to move forward the cannabis space and move forward the cannabis industry and increase customer safety and increase the. The, the customer experience in cannabis. So that's everything from different genetics, looking at different genetics, genetics companies, tissue culture, and so forth. That's looking in the Canatech space, which Canatech space I call hardware, some AI learning, and some unique product assets and uh, unique product formats and delivery methodology. And then there's also some looking at you know how blockchain is incorporated into cannabis and how can blockchain be a benefit to cannabis just with security and end-to-end solution tracking and 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 potentially some uh, some other opportunities in the future with blockchain. So all right, so I want to dig into a few of those because those are really interesting categories that are up and coming, and the fact that you have your eye on them is is very encouraging. Let's first talk about blockchain. You have to assume that I know, and I do know nothing about, I mean, I, I have some, uh, some investments, but I don't totally understand blockchain. So how do you explain blockchain and how it relates to cannabis to our audience, maybe who are kind of new to those, that terminology and stuff? Sure. Kind of where, where I saw the initial benefit was, if you know about cannabis in, in a multitude of states, you have to use an RFID track and trace beacon device that goes on every single plant from seedling all the way to sale of the final product. They use metric in most cases, and it's a uh, RFID track and trace uh, card. And the only other thing that's RFID track and trace in America is plutonium. So you have plutonium and cannabis. These are the only two things that you have to use these little RFID tags on all of your plants. It's incredibly expensive. It's incredibly burdensome for the cannabis business startup and entrepreneur but also it allows that track and traceability. Blockchain is another 
new, you know, technology out there, not new, not so new, but new to a lot of people that are just learning about it and just grasping it and understanding what it is. And blockchain is that full traceability, that full trackability, that end-to-end solution for security that I really believe will help with cannabis. One of the biggest issues you have in cannabis is you have so many SKUs and so many products and so many varieties and with so many test results attached to those batches and those batch numbers of different potencies and terpene profiles and content that it can be very, very burdensome and very, very troublesome, especially when you're in 23 different states with 23 different sets of rules and regulations. So not every reg is the same in each state. They're completely different in a lot of states. So I think that there's going to be a massive solution with blockchain integration for the supply chain of cannabis. It's, it's, it's going to be really, really unique when, when that those start coming to light. You often hear the word blockchain kind of said in the same sentence as cryptocurrency. Is is that something, is that connected at all? Or are we talking just about tracking here and, or is it connected also to crypto and that kind of stuff? Yeah, blockchain, yeah, it, it is. So those those currencies are on the blockchain. So the, it, it is directly correlated, but there's also this B2B side of blockchain um, that is helping with large enterprise solutions, you know, working with IBM, you know, working with, a lot of very large companies, Grayscale and so forth, are, are also investing into this blockchain space because it is the end-to-end solution for technology and for uh, track and traceability and for security. And then the cryptocurrency is obviously, it's a revolution and it's a, a decentralized finance, a DeFi, right? And, and what that really means is people are getting a little tired of you know going with banking solutions. And a lot of people have feel like they've been screwed over a little bit by the banking system with different contracts and adjustable rate mortgages and and so forth and different things that have really, you know, taken its toll on people that aren't familiar with interest rates and fluctuating ICM scales and and KYCs. And there's just an incredible amount that goes into it that, that a lot of people aren't familiar with. And that's really what's unique about blockchain is it's allowing people to choose what their currency is. And it's getting now accepted by about 100 million vendors uh, globally right now, cryptocurrency is. It seems like it might, the cash problem that cannabis has, it's, it might be a solution, right, to the cash problem that we have right now. Exactly. It's a massive problem out there. Massive. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. I mean, people, I did hear stories, people walking around with suitcases of money and hiding it in their house. And I mean, it's like a sophisticated industry should not have to deal with these kinds of problems. I mean, it's one thing when we were in our early stages, but now, you know, with these multi-million dollar companies, it seems insane. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. I, I mean, I had to launch multiple states with suitcases full of cash and I've been stopped at the airports with suitcases full of cash and like... I don't obviously do that anymore. We found solutions, you know, back in 2017, but we were taking armored trucks to private planes and flying the private planes to credit unions that would not have FDIC insurance. So our money wasn't insured and we were paying 5% on that money just to put it in the bank to pay payroll to be the most heavily taxed industry in the United States of America. So it's it's kind of wild what the cannabis entrepreneur has to go through. And I think that's why you've seen a lot of fallout and hardship in the cannabis space over the last couple of years. Companies bringing on massive investment and then realizing with all the taxation and the banking regulation that it just kind of sets you up for failure as you know the state goes and accepts more and more license applications in each state, giving more people greater opportunity. However, it doesn't allow a lot of people to cover the overhead of their business. And that's why you're seeing a lot of small small operators kind of get crushed in the space. Yeah. So what are the opportunities in blockchain? I mean, you say you look at 
entrepreneurs and companies that are that are doing some interesting things. What are you seeing? Like what are what are some of the ways people are or products that people are talking to you about? One thing that I started looking at, and it always brings me back to, you know, Tesla. Elon Musk was about to accept, accept uh, Bitcoin and, and Ethereum potentially as payments for Tesla. Then he found out the environmental impacts of that and how much power that these Bitcoin mining operations are using. There's companies starting up coal plants just to use Bitcoin mining equipment that shouldn't be started up anymore. There was companies that are, you know, using uh, oil fields and gas, using the off-gassing of those oil fields and gas to run Bitcoin equipment. There's people sucking up power in states with rolling blackouts and, and issues just to solve complex mathematical algorithms to mine more coins. Now, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at the time. So I started looking at different cryptocurrencies that were more eco-friendly, but had the same technology backing and technology stack to it. So I looked at one company called Casper specifically, and I made an investment with Casper because it was some of the original co-founders of Ethereum. They had created a new proof of stake concept. So it's called the CBC proof of work, proof of stake. So that means when you do a transaction in blockchain, typically they have to go through the entire transaction history of where that coin has ever been and it has validators and it goes to the nodes. And then it has to validate through every single token validator out there on the market. And it just sucks a tremendous amount of power. So Casper is very unique because these geniuses figured out how to use smart contracts and uh, proof of stake CBC format. So now it doesn't require all that validation. So it's not requiring all the computer usage that it would. So it uses 136,000% less electricity than a Bitcoin. So I thought that was unique. I liked that they could optimize the entire platform all at once and there was the right team behind it. So that was something that I got interested in uh, right away. So I thought it was a future cryptocurrency. No, that's interesting. Got to look into Casper, not the mattresses. <laughs> not the mattress. No, no, the friendly ghost. Yeah, not the friendly ghost. All right. Another thing that I hear you're bullish on and interested in investing in is uh, cannabis lounges. Like you see that as being the future. And I'm really intrigued by that because- I'm here in LA and we started seeing early on cannabis lounges kind of popping up. There was one that popped up in West Hollywood, but it closed during COVID. And I just drove by it the other day. I don't think it's open anymore. I think it might be gone. It was called the Cannabis Cafe. OG, OG Cafe. Yeah, the OG Cafe. It was a Lowell Cafe for a minute. So everybody was talking about it before COVID. And now that, you know, hopefully we're at the endemic stage of COVID, we're getting closer to it. Uh, maybe lounges will be back. And so what, tell me what you're, what you're seeing, what you're excited about. Absolutely. The, uh, the moratorium in uh, Hollywood or uh, West Hollywood is just lifted. Um, so it lifted at the beginning of this month, obviously, you know, right as those licenses were being issued and bill that was taking place and BCC inspections were taking place, COVID hit. And there's no worse time ever to uh, be in a social consumption sharing of joints and uh, dab rigs. And there's just, there's just nothing worse that could have possibly happened to the cannabis lounge. But you need to look at cannabis as the end of prohibition of a banned substance, right? That has been around for you know thousands of years. And this is going to be like the first bar. This is going to be the first Studio 54. This is going to be the first entertainment socialization. Have your morning coffee and your cannabis while doing creative and working on your laptop, you know, while sitting and enjoying some incredible food and, and, and beverage. So I think the cannabis lounge is going to be the future of really touching that 
uh, customer and really giving that customer a full brand immersion and experience and a great place to test and trial new products and, and get feedback from customers. You can do it on site. You're in cannabis now. There's nowhere. We can't just go to a bar and hang out. Every bar tells you to stop smoking or you can't smoke in here. No one wants to lose their license. So you only that leaves only homes. So you have to have all your employees over to your personal home all the time or an Airbnb. And then an Airbnb doesn't allow you to smoke in and then you get smoke and you get charged. So there's no safe place to really share and consume such a beloved plant and such fantastic products. So I think the Cannabis Consumption Lounge is going to be really that future of you know full brand immersion. So I'm excited about that. Invested with a group called High Hospitality uh, Investment Group uh, Holdings, which has Frank Orenstein, He's one of the co-founders of the Four Season brand, Four Season concept for Four Seasons Hotels and Jonathan Eisenberg. And, uh, you know, we're looking at cannabis consumption lounges, not only nationally, but globally um, and how they fit together and how they tie together and what that customer experience looks like. Is anyone doing it right? Are there any lounges that you've seen? I mean, even world like in Amsterdam or whatever, like, are there people that sort of have the concept right of how it's how it's going to look, how it's going to be? I think that there's concepts out there. I haven't to my to what I kind of see is the future is. No one's really set a Four Seasons-like experience in the lounge space yet. No one's really done that. And if you've been to all the lounges in Amsterdam, it's it's kind of more like your lo- your local kind of pub is is really really the feel that you get. And if you go to lounges in you know Barcelona and so forth, there's like you know leather couches and and like flat screen TV. You know, it's just there's no one that's really done that full kind of taste palette and done the, the full dining food experience with the incredible decor and hospitality and together. So no one's really kind of brought all those attributes together. So I think it'd be unique to create um, something like that here in the space, which we should should be hearing about shortly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm excited to hear about. It. So those are things that you're looking into. Are there what are the challenges for people getting into that space? I mean, there's so many, but I would imagine one of them is just a lot, you know, being in a state that's going to allow this. Like even in the state of California, there's a reason that it was in West Hollywood because it's a much more sort of liberal, I would imagine, progressive local municipal government there that was a little bit easier than, you know, I don't haven't heard of any cannabis lounges in in LA City, although I don't know there's that speakeasy Josephine's that is, is going to be opening up soon. But what are the challenges that people have to look into that are thinking about getting into the cannabis lounge space? Aside from running running a, a restaurant in general is just like a nightmare. But yeah, read the regulations. The regulations are strict. They're very intense. Something that people immediately think about when they go into a cannabis consumption lounge is I'm going to do infused beverages, right? I'm going to do infused cannabis cocktails. And by law, you can't actually sell them an infused beverage. So you have to do a mocktail and then you have to have like a product like Select Squeeze. I believe Select Squeeze is one of the most innovative products out there on the market. It's a nanotechnology. It's in a liquid format that you can squeeze into a beverage and dose five milligrams every single time, the exact accurate dosing into that mocktail mocktail, but you can mix it yourself. So you can, you can go to lounge, you can get the mocktail, you can buy the squeeze, then you can dose it yourself. And that's how you could create that infusion in that mocktail because cannabis beverages are on the rise, but it's very difficult with cannabis beverages because they take up so much space and their dollar value is very low and everything has to go in the safe at the end of the night. So there's not a whole large inventory side to buyers wanting to have cannabis beverages. It makes up a small segment, but Like I've always said, when cannabis is really going to hit that mainstream is when I can go to a bar with my wife. She doesn't smoke or use cannabis. I love cannabis and use cannabis. She will have her glass of wine. I can have my 
my cannabis beverage, and we can both become inebriated at that same time. So that's why nanotechnology is so relevant in the cannabis beverage space so that you can get that 15 minute activation where she's getting that, that, that alcohol consumption activation in that, you know, same time frame. because it doesn't work when you drink a, an edible beverage or, or take an edible and it hits you an hour later and they're only having their first glass of wine. Those two standards don't, don't, don't mix that well. Do you see that time coming in the near future where you can, you'll be able to sit down and have a glass of wine while your partner will be able to have a, a cannabis infused beverage? Great question. I've had this conversation with regulators in Nevada, regulators in, in California, county commissioners, governors, and there's only one place in the entire United States that has a alcohol consumption license and a cannabis consumption license on the same premise. It's only one of those in the entire United States. And there aren't in the same facility. So you have to consume your cannabis inside these walls. Then you can step out this door with a security guard and consume your wine and your beer over on this side. So that's the only time they've ever tried this and trialed it. Where is that? I'll be announcing it soon on the next time I come on your podcast. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. And that's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. They, they're not sure. They don't know. The, the regulars don't know how people's cannabis tolerances and alcohol tolerances go together. And they don't know how to really do a DUI test for cannabis. So they're not sure how these two mix yet. So that's a, that's a big challenge that was going to come forward, but I haven't heard of anyone really reasonably allowing alcohol consumption with cannabis anywhere in the country at all. I mean, that time has to come eventually. I, I just can't imagine. I mean, it's so crazy. I go to these cannabis events at dispensaries and everybody's outside. Nobody's allowed to smoke cannabis at the actual cannabis dispensary event, but they're serving alcohol. And you're like, this is just, there's something really weird going on here. Like it hasn't, the regulations have not caught up with where people are and it just doesn't make any sense logically. Exactly. All right. Well, that's exciting to hear. So you mentioned this DUI. I've had a few people on the, it seems like an issue is that we can't really measure the people's, the cannabis in people's because it can stay in your system and you can test positive and you've, but you've had it four weeks earlier. Is that some of the technology that you're looking into in your Canatech kind of um, investments and your, that kind of thing? Is that, is that some, that would be a really good, I mean, I know a lot of people are trying to do this right but that would be really interesting. Yeah, there, there, there's some major companies doing it. Benchmark is working on it and, and a couple other massive, massive companies. It's not somewhere that I've I've primarily focused. I know it's a need out there, but it's not something that I've, I've, div, I've dove in too deep on, but it is something that is necessary to help move regulators forward and attorney generals forward in each state. It's, it's So what is some of the technology? We mentioned blockchain. What are some of the other technologies that you're excited about? Hardware. I like different hardware. Hardware is becoming increasingly more important as brands are looking to differentiate in, let's say, the vape space, for instance, right? I designed the ClickPod in uh, Select uh, right before um, I transitioned out of CureLeaf. And I created this, the ClickPod, and that was a new piece of hardware and innovation that was kind of moving that, that those categories forward. But there's also new tech and innovation, such as I'm working on American-made hardware. All the hardware currently is, you know, made in China. There's, there's really no massive supplier of American-made hardware here in the United States. And it's getting very important that we bring manufacturing back to the United States. It's, it's you know, China manufactures the whole world and they're crushing us. So we need to start bringing innovation. Back. And I think we saw what, what happens, you know, recently we've seen when looking for, because of the shipping delays, right? And it seems like, yeah, we're so dependent on overseas products. So you're looking into people who are creating it here on this side of the 
Ocean. Yeah, made an investment into a into a company that is working on American-made hardware and technology and, and innovation that can be done right here because you have massive shipping delays. You have trade wars going on with China. China hasn't fulfilled their end of the deal to buy certain uh, goods from the United States. And it's caused huge delays. Gas prices are increasing significantly. So now your, your shipping costs have gone up 3x. Your tariffs are incredibly expensive. Your timeline lag time can kill you and mean that your brand doesn't launch on time, your product isn't at those stores, then you lose your shelf space. So you're required to buy several months of inventory and keep that inventory on hand. And then consumer preferences can change like this. So then you can be stuck with months and months of inventory. So those are just massive hurdles and challenges. And to have American-made manufacturing that can be distributed you know, in a matter of hours or days instead of weeks or months is going to be a revolution in the space. Is that how you kind of look at the business landscape when you're when you made your own decisions for your own business, when you're investing in other companies? You know, you've had you have really good instincts about businesses. As I said in the top of the show, you know, one of the most successful mergers, you know, in the business. So talk to me about what is your barometer for what, deciding when you're going to make a big decision as an entrepreneur? What is guiding that decision? Absolutely. Great question. What's guiding that for me is typically what need is it solving? What pain point is it is it solving in the space that I've personally dealt with scaling a business from one state you know, to uh, you know, uh, five states when I sold the company to 23 states now that we're in with different rules and regulations and different pain points and all of those segments and sectors. And what are those biggest issues that I've seen that have had maximum impact on those businesses, on those uh, product quality, on those formulations, on those different climates and, and, and humidities and temperatures and elevations in each of those states and how that kind of impacts the business. And then what also has a social responsible and, and sustainability aspect to it. And then most importantly, who's the entrepreneur leading it and guiding it? That's kind of my four kind of criteria sets that I look at when I'm investing into a business. Well, that's really good advice, I think, for Ambulus. And there's so much here. I mean, I, I've, I've written down some notes. First of all, I'm very excited about this announcement you're going to make. Do we have any sort of a timeline about when that's coming? Your announcement about your cannabis, consum- uh, cannabis uh, consumption lounges ideas? Cannabis consumption lounges should be announced here within uh, the next uh, within the next week. Okay, so uh, by the time this podcast runs, you will have to check out Green Entrepreneur because we will definitely announce it on our on our pages. Cameron, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely, thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.